0: Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons at greendreamer.com support. And this month our work is also supported by Conscious Step, a fair trade GOT-certified organic cotton socks brand that donates to a cause for every pair sold. What really stood out to me is not just the fun variety of nature-inspired prints that their socks have, but also the variety of causes they support, many of which help to address social and environmental injustice, from rainforest and ocean conservation, access to clean water, education, combating violence, and more. If you're an avid listener of this show, you know how important it's been for us to really find the connections between different social and environmental concerns. And I just really appreciate our alignment there. So next time you need new socks for yourself or for loved ones, you can shop their socks at ConsciousStep.com and use our code GreenDreamer for 20% off. Again, it's ConsciousStep.com and GreenDreamer for 20% off.
1: I've had people call me from TV stations and they're like, if we dropped you off in an unknown location somewhere in the world, could you survive? And I'm like, no way, because I don't know any plants there, you know, but, but here in my own, in my own ecosystem, I think I could probably hack it at least for a while. But like if everyone went out and did that right now, like the, it just wouldn't work because there just is not the abundance that there was in a pre-industrial America.
0: Today, we're speaking with Natalie Bockwalker, the visionary founder and director behind Wild Abundance, which is a homesteading, permaculture, building, and gardening school near Asheville in North Carolina. We've talked quite a bit about our need to build up self- and community-based resilience on the podcast through things like growing our own food gardens, harvesting rainwater, decentralizing our energy grids, and so forth. So I was really excited to chat with Natalie, who lives an off-grid lifestyle, and to see how she's been affected by our current pandemic, which has disrupted the livelihoods of so many people reliant on our globalized food system and global supply chains for our daily consumer goods. So we talk about that. We talk about her online gardening course, which has been especially relevant and popular as people are wanting to learn to grow their own foods amidst COVID-19. And towards the end, we also touch on her past controversial Cycles of Life course on primitive skills that included whole animal butchery, the backlash around that, but also her deeper intentions behind that offering. So Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
1: Well, I grew up in the country and I was fortunate enough to live with the fields on one side of our house and forest on the other side of the house, and I was just so excited to be in the woods a lot of the time. So I just wandered and explored. That was my big thing was I'm going exploring. <laughs> so I got to just wander in the forest and bushwhack to friends' houses that live super far away, relatively for like a ten year old you know and so that was really big. and then my aunt. My Aunt Lynn, she is my godmother, and she's really into backpacking and living outdoors, and she was super influential for me with that. And then when I was, I guess, 15 years old, I did Northwest Youth Corps and spent six weeks outside cutting trail and piling slash piles and just being in the woods and only going to town once a week for showering and camping and e- eating food from a campfire and that was and it was a summer job and it was incredibly influential for me so yeah I mean I've done all sorts of crazy things since then like <laughs> Living in bark huts and going for years with only eating food that I made, cooked on a fire and making all my fire with friction. but but those things in my childhood and adolescence were extremely influential for bringing me on this path.
0: I feel like most people in our world today, we work some sort of job that requires us to be pretty specialized in that one thing, mm-hmm. whereas you're really just doing these things that allow you to live directly, and you're doing a whole lot, and it ranges from things that are more creative and artistic to things that are more technical um, and require the more technical skill set. So I'm wondering how, really just practicing all of these diverse sets of skills, how has this maybe enriched your life in a way that maybe this mainstream way of living might,
1: might limit us with? Man, you know, it's funny. I was pretty cra- Like I definitely worked regular jobs for a while, you know, in my, in my, teens and early twenties. And they really crushed me. Like it was, it was really hard. I was, and they were pretty cool. Like I was the assistant director of the Sonoran desert coalition, which like protected wild lands, but it was basically a glorified office job. And I worked, I actually co-ran a cooperative catering business, which did local organic foods. And that was That was great. And I worked as a cook and it was awesome, but it was really hard on my body, like on my back, especially all that sanding. And so as I've pieced together my life and my entire of things that I'm doing that are both physical and mental and spiritual all together and, and connective, like with other people and with the wild world has really Transformed my life and made me a much more fulfilled person. And I'm—I also, you know, do my share of office work. You know, running a school—it's—it's it's no joke. And so—and that's in a way kind of nice too, because my body, as I am definitely well into midlife, it doesn't want me to be doing everything, mm-hmm. just physical work all the time. So that's really helpful too to be able to balance that all. But one big thing with people who live on the land and who grow a lot of their own food and who disengage from the system where we're really specialized to try to be people who are masters of nothing, but do everything. It's hard to set limits with your time. Mm -hmm. Like it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of my time is spent doing things that a lot of people only get to do on the weekends, which is awesome. But it's really hard, like as a homesteader to to put boundaries around your time and have time for just chilling out right. <laughs> so that's been that's been a struggle and for family i have a i have a three and a half year old so that's that's been a whole new game but yeah that's a something that I really think is important as people move into a more self sufficient lifestyle is to make sure to include time for recharging and you know sometimes that recharging can be gardening but sometimes that re- sometimes that recharging just needs to be like laying in a hammock on the wo- in the woods or by a stream side or whatever and just and just really having some priority in and taking rest.
0: Right. So do you live fully off grid today and grow and gather the majority of your own food? And what sorts of things do you still end up buying or not buying? I think our listeners who live within the confines of our dominant modern world may just be curious to hear what your day to day life is like for you as a rewilder. So whatever you feel comfortable sharing.
1: Yeah, totally. Those are really good questions. So there have been times in my life where I've said I would say 80 to 90% of my food has been gathered, grown or hunted. Right now, I'm not there. And that's because of running the school. And to me, it's, it's an interesting thing, like living completely in an idealistic way where I am having as little like negative impact as possible, versus living in a way where I'm, I'm doing that, you know, mostly, but I'm also taking those skills and sharing them. And in order to be able to take those skills and share them, like I mentioned before, like, you know, I do a few hours of office work a day. And so in order to balance that, I definitely, I definitely am not growing or gathering as much food as I have in the past. And with having a kid, it's important to me to not like be hard on myself about that and just to strike a balance. And I think that's something as people ease into this sort of this sort of lifestyle, too. I think it's really important to not focus on being 100% anything or like, you know, I was in my 20s, like super hardcore, like, <laughs> not not going to go to the store at all. Or if I do only go to the dumpsters in the back, because that's not contributing to whatever destructive thing is going on. But like, instead, like taking steps and being tender with yourself, I think is just really important. Since
0: you went through this personal evolution and decades of self-growth at this point, how has your perspective on our dominant Western culture changed as you acquired more and more knowledge and firsthand skills on self-sufficiency?
1: the first time that I came, when I came back from that experience that I mentioned when I, as a teenager basically lived in the woods for six weeks, when I came back, I refused to sleep inside. Like it was so creepy and weird to me to be like walking on carpet and like in this, I mean, it was a relatively cool house, but there was a lot of wood, but like, (laughs) I ended up just sleeping on the deck for like a couple weeks. And I, I think that I've gone through a lot of, shifts like i remember living out at wild roots this place where i used to live where i was in the bar cut and stuff and i flew to go visit my parents and like I just hadn't, it was when, um, smartphones were just starting and I was so weirded out by smartphones. <laughs> so it was just like, Oh my God, all these people aren't talking to each other. They're just all looking at screens. Like this is so weird. And I mean, it took me, I was definitely like way behind the times, but I, I have a smartphone now and <laughs> it's, um, I think that our culture, it's really odd and it's really confusing and like how much we are separated from nature's basic patterns and cycles and from meeting our own needs through growing food or gathering food or whatever and making our own shelter and all of that but I also think that these things can be used as tools you know just like you're doing with this podcast to be able to spread information and so I think that like I definitely have seen and been like been like largely on the outside of mainstream culture for like you said some decades now and i've seen things get really accelerated and really really crazy with the disassociation with climate change with all of these things and i'm really curious what is going to happen after this whole covid thing like i i really feel curious if there's going to be a continuation of lower fossil fuel use and if there's going and I also feel a little concerned about people being just more and more and more online and not interacting with each other because I think that 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 real world connection with other humans and with the more than human world is something that is really important to us as like animal creatures and when we when we step outside of that I think that We are not able to be fully human. And so I, yeah, I just hope that, that the connections are able to come back and that we're not just living our lives more and more and more online.
0: Right. So speaking of which, with this coronavirus pandemic going on right now, a lot of people's former routines and daily norms have been disrupted. A lot of us have had to change how we get the food that we need to eat with so many Mm. restaurant closures and extended lines at grocery stores. And of course, people with more disposable income may be turning more to food and grocery delivery services and things like that. I'm curious how and if this disruption of mainstream society has affected you and your friends and community of off gridders and rewilders in any way? Or have you largely felt like you've crisis-proofed yourself with this lifestyle and land-based survival skills that you've acquired?
1: I mean, I definitely, looking around me and my friends, Like, I think we're like, oh, we're better off than like 99% of people mm. <laughs> in this situation. Like, like, Oh, we already ordered our seeds for this year. Like, yes, the seed companies are running out, but we already have all of our seeds and we know how to stock up and we know how to, how to live in a way where we need less outside resources. Does that mean that we would be like totally fine and breezy and easy if like the supply chains broke down? No. Like It would be pretty darn challenging, but I think we're way better off. And one big effect, honestly, has been, you know, my friend Chloe and I saw just a huge increase in people who were asking us questions about gardening. And so we started this online gardening school um, in April and it has and we put so much energy into it and it's really awesome and we've had over 3 300 people sign up for it so far and we've had we did this little free video course called 10 veggies to grow that will really feed you and we had 7,000 people download the mm-hmm. the free video like there's just been a huge interest in growing food and in people taking care taking control of their Of their own supply chains to where they can grow their own food. And that's been like really encouraging for us and just cool to see that the things that matter to us are seeming to matter to more people these days. So that's been really cool. I honestly haven't been to the grocery store in two months. And my partner, Frank, has gone, I think, twice in the last two months, maybe three times. And we're really, we're really paring down on the like special treats. Like we used to get these like almond flour gluten-free crackers all the time, <laughs> which are kind of this ridiculous indulgence. And we've stopped getting those, you know, and we've really pared down on, on our needs and on, on the number of things that we're buying. And we've, we've redoubled, it's been kind of refreshing because I mean, I'm really thankful to have the knowledge of like what wild foods to gather in this spring, like a big portion of our diet. And bigger than last year because, you know, like I said, with teaching classes and with my office work, like sometimes I don't have time to go out and gather food. But with COVID, I've had more time to go out and gather food. And we've had a lot of wild greens in our diet this spring. And it's been really lovely. And my daughter is like, hmm, wild (laughs) greens. I love wild greens. And that's just like really special and sweet to me. And
0: as you mentioned, you're... Really knowing wild foods requires you to have a relationship with the landscape that you're in, right? So where you are, you're very familiar with the types of foods that are edible in your backyard, in your own bioregion. But for people to be able to learn the same sets of skills, we might have to contextualize our knowledge to where we are.
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's certain things like the like learning permaculture. It's a system that can be applied anywhere. So yes, learning permaculture doesn't necessarily have to be exactly where you're living, but there are pieces of that that do need to be. There's also like you can learn plant systems, like if you learn plant families in one place, you can apply them like most places in the world. That's not to say that you could go out and necessarily survive there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but learning these like bigger picture things and then applying them in a regional way is really, really awesome. And that's something that I really recommend in my classes, like even the ones that are online classes is going and talking to like the local gardener, the local old timer, the local crazy witch who's looking down the road, who really like knows what's going on. And I think that, yeah, you're right. I mean, learning, learning from local people who, are really tuned in to nature is huge. And whenever I travel, I really ask around and try to find these like these folks who are really gems in their bioregions mm-hmm. to get to learn from them. And it sometimes takes a little hunting and some some places that doesn't exist. And you know, something we were actually talking about during a meeting yesterday was with our gardening school trying to partner up with or no, we were talking about it with future online permaculture classes, trying to partner up with local people who are doing like community gardens and stuff and encouraging students to go and do hands on stuff with those people and learn those gems from people that live in the regions where they're at. Cause you're right. I mean, I don't, I mean, I've lived in, I've lived in the Sonoran desert and I've lived in the Pacific Northwest and I've lived in Spain and I've lived in Guatemala <laughs> and I've lived in Georgia and North Carolina and these places. But when it comes to like, to Maine or to Idaho or to Texas and places like that, like, like I know some of the wild foods, like just because I, I, I have studied that sort of thing, but like, but like in Texas, like there's surely to be this whole other set of wild foods, you know, there's wild pecans in Texas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds amazing. Yeah, totally. I believe I heard that during world war II, up to 45% of our food were produced in people's own victory gardens in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something yeah. really inspiring to hear is we were once almost half self-sufficient in terms of just having direct access to our food. And so as you just mentioned, you recently launched an online gardening course and you say that gardening helps us to reclaim our birthright and reconnect with our ancestors. Can you talk about what you hope to accomplish with the course for your students, both physically and maybe spiritually as well with that reconnection?
1: Yeah, definitely. So our course is appropriate for people who are total beginners to gardening and for people who have some experience with gardening or experience on farms. Like a lot of people work on farms and they still don't know how to grow food. They just like do the things that they're told, but they don't really learn the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so it's really exciting of those 300 people that or over 300 people that are in the course, over 60 of them are full scholarships, which is something that Was really important to us when we started this program was that we just want to help people, you know, and we want to help people and the people who pay like, of course, help support the program and help support people to not pay to be able to take it. But like we want to be able to empower people to grow their own food without the stumbling blocks that one usually encounters like when there were over 40% when over 40% of the food was grown in Victory Gardens that was in a day and time when when people were L- largely only one generation disconnected from growing food off of their land you know and so things have really changed in the decades in between where most people have no idea how to grow their food like it's it's crazy that that's that's not something that we learn in school and so we're creating a very ambitious program <laughs> that can take people from knowing absolutely nothing to growing if they have enough time a huge amount of their food it's also appropriate for people who are just kind of getting their feet wet because the format of it is such that you don't have to take every single class. You can just pick and choose. If you only want to grow five vegetables this year, you just watch, watch the videos that are for those five vegetables each month. And then we have foundational videos. There's like 15 foundational videos from like one about soils and then there's one about composting and there's another called how to plant a seed and get it to grow and there's another mm-hmm. one about irrigation and so these people get lifetime access to the program and they get to like pick and choose what they want to access at any given time and and this year is kind of the beta version because we just started in April so it's like super accessible right now the pricing is super accessible and it's gonna go up in the future but we're still really committed and maintain that commitment to make it so that so that anyone, depending on their income they might contribute different amounts we have a sliding scale, but that anyone can access the course and learn how to grow food in a really lovely guided, mentored way
0: The cemetery grounds I wander through the maze the wild, dear old among the solemn stones among the solemn stones. So, to go even further, you also teach permaculture design. Is permaculture design something you think that anyone would benefit from learning, whether we're homeowners or not, whether we live in small apartments or have lawns? And if so, how might this knowledge shift our understandings
1: and approach to sustainability? Permaculture is a... Philosophy. It's a way of looking at the world. And typically, you know, people are applying that philosophy to permaculture design of landscapes. But that holistic, nature based approach of designing can also be applied to designing businesses to designing nonprofits to designing a playground to designing house like there's there's no limitation to where where those principles and where this philosophy can take you and the permaculture design course the contents of which for a standard permaculture design course are are kind of set forth by the bodies who decide such things and then we with, at Wild Abundance, we offer a class called earth skills and permaculture, the earth skills and permaculture intensive. So we take the permaculture design stuff and th- that core, and then we add a lot of earth skills to it, which we think are really complementary. And, and I think that those, that those skills and those courses are, like you said, they are relevant to everyone. If you have a home, then you might be applying that stuff in your backyard. If you live in a, an apartment, you might be applying that stuff if you have a little community garden plot, or you might be applying it as to like how you're designing the system of your life. Mm. If you are a builder, you might be taking those principles and applying it to the layout of the houses that you build or working with landscape architects to to work on the flow and the the greater systems like yeah permaculture is a very exciting exciting field and it's something that we're you know we have this course which is so special which we offer here in North carolina although the past few months we've had to be online for this month mm-hmm. it's a one weekend a month course but That's something that we're planning on in the next year, transforming to be, to be a course that anyone can take anywhere in the world. And they may or may not choose to come here for the in-person portions. So that's exciting. And there's a lot of people who teach permaculture in lots of different places too. It's just, it's a system that is, I think should be required for every high school student to to (laughs) (laughs) graduate. So a large
0: part of the sustainable lifestyle movement today teaches people how to be more conscious consumers, because like we discussed earlier with this economic system we have set up today, most people work jobs to earn money, to then pay for the things that we need to live, as opposed to directly growing and gathering more of our own food, harvesting our own water, building our own homes, making our own clothes, a lot of the things that you teach for self-sufficiency and rewilding. And this may be a delicate question. I know you've received backlash for teaching the survival skills of whole animal butchery with your previous cycles of life course. I want to be mindful that our diverse range of listeners consist of vegans, vegetarians, regenerative enthusiasts, and also people who are interested in learning primitive skills and rewilding. And topics like this is one that may divide people who at our core otherwise share the same goal of wanting to create a greener and healthier future for everyone. But I'd love to hear your side of this, whether or not people share the same worldview. What value you see in teaching these parts of rewilding and primitive skills like deer high tanning and whole animal butchery as it relates to our overarching goal
1: it was really sad it was it, it all started three weeks after i gave birth to my daughter i got started getting all these death threats and oh my gosh it was really it was really crazy and i have so many vegetarian friends who are like oh my gosh i'm so sorry you're going through this like the people who are giving you debt threats for teaching a class on how to humanely butcher a sheep should be protesting like Tyson and these like giant, giant, cruel meat companies. And so it was really, it was really heartening to get a lot of support from vegetarians through that struggle. You know, like I said, I think that if the entire world was to go through this huge change to where we were all committed to growing enough food in a sustainable and a regenerative way for everyone, I think the majority of people would be vegetarians. That said, there are certain situations where it makes a lot of sense to have a grazing animal. Like, like I think there are certain situations and I mean, I know that a lot of people have a lot of ethical stuff around it, which I totally respect. And I am not saying that anyone should or needs to, or must raise animals at all, or harvest wild animals. But like, you know, with the deer hide tanning, it's like all these people are hunting. And then these deer hides are just getting thrown away and they're going to the dump. Like Mm. this is like, like where these deer hides are coming from is not people going out and shooting an animal for its hide. These deer hides are coming from the waste stream. And so we're just like intercepting them before they go to the dump from the butcher. And so, you know, that seems like really clear. And I, I talked with the local group of vegans who was attacking me. I actually had a really lovely, lovely conversation with one of them who was the, the head of the local group. And he was like, yeah, we don't care about you teaching high tanning. We think it's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, okay, that's nice. But, um, as far as the butchering classes go, I mean, I think there's that if you're going to meet all of your nutritional needs, it's definitely possible that some of those needs might be met from animals. And if you're having animals, even just for dairy or for eggs, like, you know, it also makes sense for during certain parts of the animal's life cycle to humanely butcher them and to use the meat, you know, especially if you're in some situation where your supply chains are breaking down and you need protein. And so I really believe that it is important to empower people with those skills so that they can do it in a way that is loving and that is, although I'm sure a lot of people take offense to me. So. that word but but to me it feels that way it feels loving and respectful and that is done in a in a uh, capable way that's not floundering and so teaching those skills so that people can do it in a way that that works instead of a way that is flailing which when I first started I was definitely did some flailing and so it's it's really helpful to me to be able to pass on what I have learned to people so that they can do these things in taking animal's life in a graceful way so it feels important to me to be able to give people those skills and those are skills again that used to be passed on I mean most all of our ancestors all over the world have either hunted or hunted animals or have kept animals and slaughtered animals. And I think that those completely vegetarian, like vegan, purist mentality, like as our food systems break down, it might not be possible anymore. Like, I mean, a lot of the foods that that they're getting, unless they're living in a totally tropical place where they can grow all of these things, like they're, they're needing industrial inputs in order to exist. And so if you're going to live in a situation that is completely land-based, there's going to be some animals involved, you know? And I think that the amount of eating animals all over the world should go way, way down for the purpose of sustainability. But I think that, that within like a closed loop system, it can make a lot of sense to have some animals involved and be occasionally slaughtering them and eating them.
0: Well, do you think that, Part of the backlash comes from people largely knowing that you'd be directly participating in the act of killing as opposed to conscious consumer guides telling people who do consume animal products how to shop more consciously because the act of purchasing something feels more indirect and removed from the act of butchering itself. But maybe people that do consume animal products should also be exposed to what inevitably has to happen.
1: Oh, man, I totally agree with you. I think that I think that if you are making the choice to eat eggs or to eat cheese, like you should probably be part of and understand what goes into those decisions. And we've actually had people come to the class and then choose to be vegetarian because they're like, oh, or vegan. And I totally see what goes into this process and how it can be done in its most idealized way. And now I decide that I'm not going to eat it or I'm only going to eat it if it's coming from like a farm that I know really well and blah, blah. And so that sort of like, I just, I really want people like you're saying to be educated and understand what goes into the choices that they're making and the whole conscious consumer thing. Like, I think it's great. And I think that, I think that Being directly involved with your food system is way more responsible and a better thing, if that's something that you can do. So with everything that you teach revolving
0: around self-sufficiency and community skills from the ground up, how do you think we might be able to address a lot of the societal systemic issues that we feel like come from the top down? So might self-sufficiency be an act of rebellion
1: against the system? Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is like lack of participation in a system that is a capitalistic system that is inevitably like tied up with cruelty and slavery and, and factory farming and depletion of resources. Like when you can choose to be self-sufficient and to step out of that system, that is totally an act of rebellion. I, I totally agree with that.
0: Yeah, and I also wonder if we might be able to starve out these big industries by all becoming more self-sufficient because... Right now, a lot of talk involves how do we get these big guys to change? But that's fundamentally so difficult because of how tied up they are with policy and with the government. So it's really hard to get those systemic shifts that we need. So then now I'm thinking maybe we can kind of starve them out by just becoming more self-reliant and not really needing them as much and not giving them as much of our
1: money and our power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that is very honorable. And I think that I think that I think that the key with that is that it's important to enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> like because I mean I think that I think that it's a strategy to totally starve them out, but that takes getting a lot of people on board, you right. know, which may happen and may not happen. And so I think like as you're doing it, you have to really just like just like do it because you're passionate about it and do it because you love it and do it because like, oh my God, I planted a seed. Like one of my apprentices for the very first time planted a seed like on his own. I encouraged him to go and plant some beets and then they germinated and they're growing and it's just like so exciting to him. <laughs> and, like, and like to have that enthusiasm and be sharing that enthusiasm with others rather than like guilting people into it, I think is going to be a much more successful and like lovely way to live, you know, rather than like, we have to do this. We, and everyone must do this and blah, blah, blah. And like, in some ways I can totally get on board with that, but I think that it's going to be a lot more successful if we are doing it not just because of our ideologies, but also because it's awesome and so fun and like so fulfilling and deeply like deeply connects you to your lineage as a human. Right.
0: And finally, if our listener is inspired to become more self-sufficient, what would you recommend them start doing and take action on to take back more of their access to abundance and control over their own livelihoods and also just as as a
1: means to enrich their lives? I think that what people should do really depends on where they're at. You know, if they rent a house or own a house and it has a yard, then starting a garden, I think, is a really great way to do that. And getting advice from locals or doing something like our like our, our gardening school, I think, can be a great option, um, whether it's scholarship or you're paying for it. I think that if you have a full time job doing something that you really love and that you really care about, and you don't have, a, and you live in an apartment and you don't have access to to a garden, then I think going to the farmer's market and supporting local people who are growing food and taking like taking control of your food system to localize it in a really big way, I think can be super helpful, even though it's not necessarily as direct. It's definitely way more direct than going to Going to to uh, Whole Foods and buying some organic produce that's shipped from New Zealand or whatever, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that being tender with yourself and encouraging of yourself to take a certain number of steps within a certain given time frame, and whether that step is like boycotting your phone for one day a week or going to, to the farmer's market and buying a bunch of your food from the farmer's market, or whether it's taking a permaculture design course, or whether it is volunteering your time to help people, to help make a community garden in an underprivileged area in town. Like there's lots of people, things that people can do. And I think what that thing is, or, you know, one big thing is like biking and not driving your car or taking public transportation. Like there's all these things that I think are really valid that I think it's important for us to all be taking those steps and being tender with ourselves, but not being like, Oh, I recycle. So I'm a good person. Mm. (laughs) Because like, I mean, there's certain things like recycling and like just buying organic produce at Whole Foods, like those two things are, in, I, in my opinion, not making a huge difference in the world. Whereas if you if you take those to the next step and you are buying local foods at a farmer's market and you are. Reducing the number, and you're bringing your own bags, and you are reducing the amount of packaging that you are taking in, and maybe you even boycott Amazon or something <laughs> like those. Those things to me are having a greater and deeper effect. And so, really looking at and and learning. I mean, that's another thing is like is taking classes, listening to podcasts, like like and looking underneath and making sure that whatever it is that you're, that you're learning from or that you're buying or whatever, that it's really legit because there's, there's a lot of money to be had right now in creating green quote unquote green products that are relieving people's, um, relieving people's guilt or guilt. Exactly. But, but it's not actually doing anything. You know, when you read the fine print or they're actually owned by, by um, Monsanto or whatever. You know? And so like buying Chiquita organic bananas, like, yes, you are reducing the amount of, of pesticides and herbicides that are going into the world, which is great, but you aren't really looking at bringing down the way wealth is distributed and where, where the money is going. And I think that's, that's really the big thing is I think local is a, a really good choice and if you can grow your own food even better so it is
0: www.wildabundance.net to learn more about natalie's work and to check out her wide range of online courses including the gardening course that we mentioned earlier and you can also follow them on facebook at wildabundance.net and on instagram at WildAbundance. all of this will be linked in our show notes at greendreamer.com natalie thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and also for sharing your story insights and expertise what final words of wisdom do you have for us
1: as green dreamers don't be scared follow your heart and connect with the wild.
0: You were listening to Green Dreamer and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've learned from or have been inspired by this episode, I would love to have your direct support on Patreon at greendreamer.com support so that I can keep this independent show going and accessible for everyone. Patreon is where our guests' final five tips, personal mantras, and additional suggested readings will be shared from now on, alongside some bonus content and sometimes author book giveaways as well. So if you're able to join starting from $2 per month again it's greendreamer.com support today's song feature is yarrow by kim anderson and i also want to thank our audio engineer scott donnell and our post-production content manager elizabeth joy we appreciate you so much and i will catch you soon in the next episode the grass beneath the tree scattered with the first autumn leaves. I feel a great release. I am part of all I see.